And Lord, we thank you that you've left us not only a manual for marriage, but a, a manual for life and a manual that teaches us who you are and reveals to us certainly who we are. And uh, Lord, I, I pray as we, as we talked about from the very outset yesterday that our motive will be for you to work in our marriage so that we might better glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might better exemplify what he wants to do in the lives of lost people in our home and around us. So Lord, we, the best way we know how, we just lift our hands as representative of our hearts and we ask you to do in us what only the the Word of God can do through the power of the Spirit of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so when we talk about the general assignment of a husband, uh, we can learn a whole lot about that man's assignment just by the title that God has given to the man in the marriage. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But, you know, one of the things that I just got to keep coming back to as I ab approach this whole subject of marriage is that marriage wasn't some invention that some man or some woman had or they had together about, hey, you know what I think would be cool? This was what God said. This is the way that this is going to work. This whole human equation, it's going to work like this. And I want you to think about this, this, this title that God gave to the man. Do you realize he could have given him any title that he jolly well wanted to give him? He's God, and he, can, he could have called him, you know, as a husband, he could have called him a refrigerator for crying out loud. You know, I mean, he could have chosen any title whatsoever, but for some reason, he gave him the title husband. And again, I want to suggest to you this morning as we're getting started that there's a whole lot that we fellas can learn about marriage and our responsibility as men just from that title. And that's the first thing that I want you to see about the husband's assignment. Number one in your notes, a husband is a gardener. A husband is a gardener. And to show you this, let's talk first about letter A. Let's, let's talk about man's first occupation. And we find the explanation of this in Genesis chapter 2. And if you'll look up on the screen, you can see it. You can certainly turn in your Bibles, but it's there for you for time's sake. But he says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the, the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And I want you to listen real carefully to this. And there was not a man to till the ground. 
Okay, just get that little phrase in your head with me, fellas. There was no man to till the ground. Okay, so you get in a picture of this? God's created the earth, and in that ground, there's some plants. But at this point, there is no man to till the ground. And do you know what the Bible word is for one who tills the ground? It is husbandmen. And we find that word in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. God used it in reference to Noah. Genesis 9 20 says, and Noah began to be an husbandman and he planted a vineyard. But I want you to notice the, the verse that we just looked at a second ago in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 5. It says there that there was not a man to till the ground. Okay, but the next verse says, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 6, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Okay, again, there was no man to till it, but God was watering that ground because there was something he was wanting to come from that ground. Verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the, what y'all? Of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And in your notes, notice, God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And one of the reasons he did is because this ground that he created had plants in it. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And of course, that was because God knew that if those plants would ever bear the fruit that he intended them to bear. They needed a husbandman. They needed a gardener, or they needed someone to till the ground. Okay, are you tracking with all of that? Okay, now look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And it might be important for us to know that the word dress in this verse is the same word that is translated till in verse 5. Okay, it means serve, till, work. And, and the word keep in this verse means, of course, keep, guard, observe, give heed, and many times it's translated watchman. Okay, now, okay, I'm, I'm just laying down a, a lot of principles, okay, and, and if, if you are just as lost as a goose right now, let me give you the simplification of that. Here it is. God created the ground and planted within it fruit-bearing plants. God gave the ground a husbandman, a tiller of the soil, 
to dress and keep it, and he did that so that the ground could bear fruit. Okay, so that was man's first occupation. And understand that this occupation that he's received, it's something that he has received from God himself. I think it's important for us as men to recognize that God created us as men to work. God wanted that man to have a job. And I want you to notice that before the curse, work was fun, man. It, it wasn't work. It didn't become work until after sin, and then it became labor. It, you get in the grind of this thing, but man, we were created to work. I, I, I know i got to be careful on, on this, but I've noticed through the years, y'all, that when a man loses his job, boy, the body of Christ better rally around him because that is a tough time for a man and he can kick into a funk in a lot of different areas in his responsibilities as a husband his responsibility as a son of God and and it's because there is something innate again man was given a job before the curse the only thing about the curse was it became labor at that point. So again, just, just file that in your head. But at this point, Adam was no doubt stoked about his occupation. Um, you know, uh, I, I've been in the, the ministry. That's all I, I God, God called me to do it because he knew that was the only thing I could possibly do. <laughs> because I'm telling you, man, you... You put a hammer in my hand, and I'm like, now, is this left-handed or right-handed hammer? <laughs> my wife can tell you if something breaks in our house, she's going to have to check it out. <laughs> For real, it just does not compute, man. But, you know, so all I've ever done is this. Um... But, man, and in the ministry, it's just hard to ever step back and actually see that you're making any traction. You know what I'm saying? You just, one Sunday rolls into another, and, you know, you're meeting with people and helping with problems. and ah. That's why I like to mow the grass, man. <laughs> man, I, it can look all toe up. And I can, I can go out there, get my lines in a diagonal way. And before I put that lawnmower away, <laughs> just something satisfying <laughs> about doing a job, seeing it to completion, and, and being done with it. Okay, well... Somehow, when God created that man, he created him to work, and he gave him an occupation, and he dug it, man. And I'm not trying to be punny. Uh, yeah, he, he was to mess with that ground, but man, it, it, he was stoked about that. 
Okay, so that's important for us to see. That's not random. That was the setup. Okay, letter B. Now let's talk about man's first preoccupation. You know where this is going? Okay, let, let me give you the explanation of what I'm talking about here. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 21, it says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, the, the thing that is real interesting here, and we don't have the time to actually you know, work it, but when you work through Genesis chapter 1, after every day God steps back and he's... <laughs> That's good right there. Every day. That's good. That's good. That's good. And he looks at this man that he himself created that was no accident. And he says, this is not good. And all the ladies said... <laughs> and, and the reason that it wasn't good is that he needed, and you ladies have known this all along, he needed help, man. <laughs> you ever said that to your husband? You need help. And so God, God says it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And, and, and what I want you to notice, I think this gets lost in all of this. God, you know, imagine being Adam and God saying, looking at you going, mm-mm. <laughs> this is not good. I'll make him a help. Okay, the very next words are and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field so what is Adam to be thinking the last thing God told him is I'm going to create a help that's meat for you and then here comes every beast of the field man <laughs> and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name there, thereof. And so God starts the process, and he creates this animal out of the ground. And he says, so what do you want to name him? Uh, Adam says, uh, are, are we going alphabetical? Uh, <laughs> Uh, aardvark, A-A-R, okay, aardvark, uh, pulls another one out, uh, what, what do you want to name this, uh, alligator, okay, and what do you want to name this, uh, buzzard, uh, okay, you don't have to go alphabetical, I've already mentioned that, and so they pull something else from the ground. What do you want to name this? Uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. God says, how do you spell that, bro? Okay, so this is what, what's happening. He's naming everything that, that, that God's pulling out of the ground. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him 
to which I'm sure brought the first praise the Lord on the planet, man. Okay, I'm glad that wasn't it. <laughs> and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And as we think of Adam's rib, keep in mind here, this is in your notes, Keep in mind what that rib was actually made of. What was it made of, y'all? It was made of ground. And notice, God took a piece of ground right under man's heart. I bet that was random. And verse 22 says, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woe man and brought her unto the man, which no doubt brought the second ever praise the Lord on this planet, followed, I'm sure, by a hama, hama, hama. That's what I'm talking about. Good job, God. Woo! But do you know what that man... Do you know what that man actually is? He is to be the tiller of that beautiful piece of ground that God called the woman. And you know what his responsibility is? His responsibility is to serve that piece of ground. Do you know what he actually is? Listen to the word, y'all. He is a husband. And again, I ask you, do you think that's just random? Do you see it? There's a garden in that piece of ground that he's all gaga about. There's a garden in her, and God wanted her to bear fruit. But if that ground, that woman, would bear fruit, she too wasn't good alone. She needed a husbandman. She needed a gardener or someone to till the ground. That might be a good pickup line. <laughs> Girl, I would love to till your ground. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> okay. So again, let's just make sure we're let's make sure we're collecting all the pieces. Y'all go ahead. <laughs> okay, so let's just make sure we're grabbing the pieces here. This is what I'm calling in your notes the simplification. Just so, you know, because I, I know it's early. Some of you are probably flaking out. Okay, so here it comes. God created Adam out of the ground and caused a deep sleep to fall upon him. Out of the ground under Adam's heart, 
God gave to him another piece of ground, a womb man. That's what she is, man. She's a man with a womb. God gave the ground, the woman, a husband to dress her and keep her so that she might bear fruit. And you see, that's, that's why Psalm 128 and verse 3 says, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. And 2 Timothy 2.6 says, The husbandman, hello, that laboreth must first be first partakers of the fruits. James 5.7 talks about how the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And, and, and so do you see this, men? We, we can learn a lot about marriage and our assignment in marriage just from the title that God gives to us. Um, I, I've mentioned before, not that you needed me to inform you, that I'm an old geezer. Um, Sherry and I uh, got married on March 4th, 1979. Uh, I had just turned 22, and she had just turned 20. And I, I can I tell you, I was absolutely clueless about everything that we just talked about. <laughs> <clears throat> I was clueless of the assignment that I was actually being entrusted with as I walked out of that church that afternoon with the title of being Sherry's husband. Again, I would have said, yes, I'm her husband, but having no biblical idea what in the world I was actually talking about, I had no idea that I had just... 15 minutes earlier told her and God I mark take thee Sherry to be my lawfully wedded plant <laughs> to dress you and keep you to till your soil from this day forward in times of rain and in times of drought. <laughs> you know what? I was taking on the assignment of being my wife's husbandman. I, I was to till the ground of her life because God had placed in her some incredible fruit that would never really be born unless I took my responsibility to make sure that that ground is everything that God intended for it to be. I, uh, I, I think I had also mentioned to you that I, I grew up in Miami. A lot of times when I tell people that, they're like, oh, how nice. <laughs> Not that part. <laughs> I was on the other side of the tracks. A lot of times I'll tell people I went to Miami, Carroll City, and most people from Miami go, oh, okay. We had armed guards in 1972, for real. 
I mean, it was, it was, it was rough. And uh, let, let me tell you how many people in my hood had a garden. <laughs> None. <laughs> now, there were people growing stuff. <laughs> But you didn't cook that. <laughs> and uh, so when, when, you know, Sherry and I, we, we, we got married, we moved to Southern California, and then uh, we ended up in Ohio. Let me tell you, we were in rural Ohio, and everybody had a garden. I mean, you go to these people's houses, man, and it was so pretty. And after we had lived there about two years, I was like, watch this. <laughs> and so I, I told Sherry, man, why don't we do a garden? That'd be awesome. Okay, so we, we, we lived out in the country at this time, and there was a little part that extended in the, in the back of the house where the kitchen was, and so I, I'd scoped out the land. It was going to be right on the other side of that kitchen, but the garage or the drive, you know, where you parked was over on this side of the house. So somebody came out that had a tiller, you know, you know, and whew, that was some pretty dirt, man. It was all there, man. I'm so excited about planting all that stuff. And uh, you know, I went out that first week, and I'm watering it, start to see those little plants come up. And then life happened. I was just busy, busy, busy. I don't see it every day when I'm pulling in the drive. It's on that other side of the kitchen. <laughs> And so I finally get out there, and it, the weeds were taller than the plants. The plants, I could see them in there. And ooh, they were brown, and you know, they were messed up. And so you know what I did? I told them what was up. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you something. This is not the way that this is going to work. Tomatoes, it's time for you to catch up. Lettuce, if you don't get in gear, some heads are going to roll. And I, you know, I'm just barking about all of this stuff. And what is all these brown leaves, man? Do you know what I'm talking about right now? This is the way that a lot of husbands deal with their wife that they are supposed to be the gardener of. That Listen, my gardener was toe up because I didn't do my job. And the way that it goes is, you know, when we're dating... We're showing, we're we're showing our green leaves, and we we ain't turning around <laughs> because there's some brown leaves back there, and most of us husbands never notice those brown leaves, and then after we get married, it's inevitable, man. We're gonna see that, and then. <laughs> 
You know, and we are chewing our wife out when we stood at an altar and told God, I want to be this woman's husbandman. I, I want to take the responsibility to see that she has everything that she needs so she can bear the fruit that brings you glory. And, and so, fellas, I, I, again, I, I don't think you need 15 minutes of me to work this ground. I think we get it. It's time that we man up, take responsibility, and rather than get all cheesed off about all of our brown leaves, talk to God and say, God, how can I help my wife to bear the fruit that you want her to bear? And so help me to, and I know I've made it cheesy. I'm going to get in trouble later about this till the ground thing from my wife. <laughs> but in the nicest possible way. But we need to just look at what do we need to do with the soil? What do we need to do with the the amount of sunlight that she's getting and what kind of nutrients would she need in order to get on the other side of whatever it is. But, but again, you're not, you're not here to fix her. You're here to be her husbandman. And, and so again, there's a lot that we can learn just from the title that God gives to us. And I, man, I hope that we'll take that away. A husband is a gardener. And then secondly, okay, <clears throat> the husband is a picture. <laughs> and now we're going to get really manly. <laughs> okay? The husband is a, is a picture. Now, as we, we, we've talked about uh, yesterday and uh, we'll no doubt talk the rest of today. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, down to verse 31, what God does is He lays out the most extensive practical teaching to husbands and wives in the entire Bible. And uh, so we're not, we're not going to you know, read through all of that. You, you can do that as well as I can. But then He gets down to verse 32, and he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And here's the point. It's in your notes. The husband in his relationship with his wife is a picture of Christ in his relationship with his church. Listen, fellas, if you've taken the responsibility, or if you have accepted the assignment of being your wife's husband, you have taken on the assignment of also fulfilling a picture. And again, I'm not so sure that as men we fully recognize the significance of that. We are a picture of Christ, y'all. And, and God is, is pretty particular about his pictures. In your notes, if we desecrate the picture, 
It will be impossible for us to maintain a meaningful relationship with Christ. Okay, fellas, do you hear that? If we're a picture of Christ and we aren't fulfilling our assignment as picturing Christ, let's don't fool ourselves into thinking that we've got an intimate relationship with Christ. Now, my relationship with my wife stinks, but man, okay, you better hold the phone because you're a picture of him. And we can't disconnect our relationship with him from our relationship with her. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, what God is essentially saying in this verse is to us fellas, listen, if you jack up the picture, it's going to jack up your relationship with Christ. And he, he tells husbands what to do in the first part of the verse, and then at the end he throws on this little exclamation point. In other words, do what I'm telling you to do so that your prayers don't get hindered. Because when we jack up the picture, you can pray all stinking day. And your prayers are going to be hindered. I, listen, y'all, I, I, this sounds so negative, and man, I, I hate to be a negative dude. I don't think most men are on praying ground because they jack up the picture of Christ. And if that sounds like I'm being condescending, let me just flip it. I don't think most pastors are on praying ground. I, I got to tell you, man. I, I, a, a guy that was a mentor of mine when I'm not long after I got saved and I was in Bible college, a guy took me under his wing and he, he said, Mark, I want to just tell you something. He was a pastor. Mark, I want to tell you something. Pastors are the third sex. They are neither male nor female. I don't, they just in a category all their own. And I now know what he means. Pastors are a piece of work, man. You guys got a good one. Okay, hang on to it. But, oh... If you want to know whether or not your pastor is on praying ground, just watch how he deals with his wife. Amen. Yeah, we, we, remember Wednesday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Hey, where's that? Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> Go work in your garden, man. Do something productive, but don't pray. <laughs> Because your prayers are going to be hindered. I mean, I, that's, that's what it says. <laughs> and again, I want to say to all of us fellas that if our relationship with our wife isn't right, 
our relationship with God isn't right either. Amen. So I, I'd start with getting right with God <laughs> and then get right with your wife so you can stay right with God because <laughs> he puts a lot of stock in his pictures. <laughs> uh, there's another passage, uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, where what he, what he does here is he likens... Uh, our salvation to a marriage. And again, this is all throughout the Bible. I, I'm not going to take the time to read all of that. But would you just look at the, the very last part of this? The whole purpose of marriage is that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That He wants to use our marriages to bear fruit in our kids and in the lost people around us. This is in your notes. Notice the church is that wife in this passage that is intended to bear him fruit. We see the same picture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 where Paul talks about our salvation being the fact that we have been espoused Hello? Espoused to Christ as our one husband. But I, I, want you to, I want you to think with me. Why did God include being a picture of Christ as a part of our assignment? Okay, what, what, what's up with all of that? Uh, I, 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 I told you yesterday that if the question starts, um, have you seen... I'm probably going to say no, but, you know, I, I have watched a few movies in my day. Most of us probably have watched The Truman Show. You guys remember The Truman Show? Okay, so The, the Truman Show, anybody that didn't see it? Okay. I don't, I don't think there's anything bad in that movie, is there? This is a pretty good movie. The plot is great. Uh, this is when all of the reality TV was happening, and so the Truman Show was kind of doing a little spoof off of that whole thing. And so what the Truman Show is, is it's this guy that is going through life, and he's doing everything that we do, and he has no idea that he lives in this little bubble that is actually... A, a set, okay? And everybody that he thinks he knows and interacts with is all an actor. His parents aren't his parents. And all of the world, all of the world, they're watching his life and he has no idea that he is a reality show. <laughs> and so that's, you know, the name of that tune. Uh, Okay, so here, the, reason I, the reason I brought that up is, fellas, I, I want you to just think about something with me for a second. I, w I want you to imagine that God comes up to you, and he's holding a DVD, and he says, you know, for the last year... I've been videotaping your relationship with your wife. And from now on, if you want to tell people about Jesus, you can't use the gospel. 
and you can't use the Bible. This is all you can use. And so when you hand it to people, tell them, if you want to know the kind of relationship that Christ wants to have with you, just, just watch how I treat my wife. And so I, I ask you, my brothers, would anybody want to come to Christ if they watched just how you deal with that woman? It, 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 listen, we're talking about some, some big stuff here. Uh, you see, th- this is why in the qualifications for leadership in 1 Timothy chapter 3, God says, look for a man who has brought up faithful children. Because listen, DVD or not, our kids watch every day what this relationship that Christ wants to have with them by watching how you treat their mama. And, oh, yeah, sure, they go to church and they hear us just talking about how wonderful Christ is. (laughs) But we're evangelizing them every day through how they see that we love on their mama. In your notes, there's one more thing we need to understand about our assignment as husbands. And to get it, okay, there's some things we need to to understand about ourselves. Okay, so now, fellas, you've... You've done a great job of, of hanging with me. I know we've talked about some heavy stuff, and, and I appreciate your spirit and how you're re- receiving it. But right now, okay, you, you're going to have to work with me. Okay, now this is, this is, because it's the word, it's powerful. But you're going to have to hang with me for a few minutes before it all starts coming together. Let, let's just talk about the four basic desires of a husband, okay? I mean, when you just strip it all down and you're talking about us, I'm talking about men in all of our maleness, okay? We have a passionate desire, number one, to hold the place of honor in our bride's life, right? The key word here is honor. And that's why God says in Ephesians 5.33, He says to the wives, let the wife see that she reverence her husband because there's something that God put on the inside of us that needs that, that longs for that, that wants that. And when you really get down to it, as as husbands, we want to be successful in pleasing our wife. But the truth is, fellas, there's something that God built on the inside of us that wants the woman in our life to revere us. In other words, we want our wife to honor us. We want her to respect us. We want her to appreciate us. Isn't that right, fellas? 
Okay, next we have a passionate desire to enjoy the relationship of intimacy with our bride. Okay, and the key word here is sex. And that's why God says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4, let the wife render unto the husband, some of my favorite King James language here, render due benevolence. Uh, I, can, I can describe that in three letters. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Okay, and, and the way that it works... Am I not right in this, fellas? One of the ways that it works is one of the ways that we feel most honored and revered is when the woman in our life desires to bring us pleasure. Okay, I'm not trying to cheese this, but is that not true, fellas? Okay, next we have a passionate desire, number three, to share the grace of life with our bride. And the key word here is partnership. And that's why God says in 1 Peter 3, 7, being heirs together of the grace of life. And we looked just a few minutes ago about the Genesis 2.18, God saying that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And God's answer to man's alone state wasn't a business partner. <laughs> it wasn't a workout partner. Wasn't a hunting partner, a golfing partner, or a tennis partner. It was a wife. It was a life partner. Someone to do life with. And sure, we want her to be our lover. We just talked about that. But we also want her to be our partner. We, we, we want her to be our buddy. We want to do stuff that we like to do with her. <laughs> and you ladies used to do that stuff with us when we were dating. <laughs> that was just to get you, man. Okay, and then next, and I'm teasing. Kind of. And then next we have a passionate desire for number four, to experience the blessedness of dwelling with our bride. And the key word here is, is home. And that's why God says in Titus 2.5, the aged women, teach the young women to be keepers at home. Because as men, we don't just want a place where we have room and board. Man, we did that when we were single. We want a place, man, that to us is, is home. A place where we come in and we just go. <sighs> and again, that's why God says what he says to women in Titus chapter 2 and, and, and verse 5. And we're going to look at this in the next session. But listen, when we as men find honor and find intimacy and find partnership with our wife. And I don't want to sound corny or cheesy or trite, but when all of that's happening, let me just tell you, that's when we can relate to Dorothy. And there is no place to us like home. And that's where the catchphrase originated through the years that a man's home is his castle. And again, not because he rules, but because
because this is his place, man. This is where he wants to be. And again, that's why God says what he says in Titus 2.5, that wives are to see to it that their house becomes a home. And I, I believe that this is, the idea here is that she's to use her femaleness, her femininity, that's why I didn't call it that first, because I have a hard time with femininity. <laughs> but she's to use her femininity to make that dwelling place a refuge. Man, the world is a rough place out there, man. It's antagonistic, it's harsh, it's rude, it's cold. And the way that it's supposed to go, God gives the man the responsibility to provide for those in his house unless he becomes worse than an infidel. And so he's out there slugging it out all day in this rough, harsh, crude world. But he comes home. And it becomes a settled place. We looked at 1 Kings 8, 13 yesterday. That's how God defines the word dwell. A settled place. And I, I, would, I, would, I would bet you, you don't have to respond, fellas. I would bet you right now that as we've talked about these desires of a husband... I bet you there's a lot of men in the room right now that are going, oh, I hope she's hearing that. And you wouldn't be wrong to hope she's hearing that. But remember, that was just the setup. I, I went into all of that because we get that. That's, we're men. With those four things, the four desires of, of a husband, I, I wasn't telling you men anything that you didn't know. But it was to get us to see this third thing about our assignment. And that is that a husband is a bride. Wait, I think you messed up your blank. Uh, <laughs> husband is a bride. And again, we've looked at the verses. Ephesians 5, 32 is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church as he's talking about husbands and wives. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, we just talked about. It. We've been espoused to him as our one husband. If he's our husband, then what are we? We're his bride. Revelation 21 and verse 9 talks about the fact that we are the lambs. Anybody know who the lamb is? Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's pointing to Christ. The lamb's wife is us, the church. And we as individual men, we comprise the bride of Christ. So yes, we're husbands to our bride, but listen, fellas, we got to make sure that we don't ever lose sight of the fact that we are the bride to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now let's talk about the four basic desires of our husband. 
And something tells me that as the bride of Christ, if we could get to the third heaven, our husband might be saying, man, I hope he hears this. Because first of all, our husband has a passionate desire to hold the place of honor in our life. And the key word here is honor. You know how we just talked about we want our wife to revere us and to respect us and to honor us? Listen, fellas, that's exactly what our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, desires of us. And that's why 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And may I say to you men, the truth is, most of us... You listening, fellas? Most of us are probably receiving from our bride the same amount of honor that our husband is receiving from us. And, and something we may need to understand about how God works through his very designated pictures in the, the Bible. Obviously, this book and the Spirit of God that lives in us that reveals this book to us is the primary way that God works in our life. But sometimes in these pictures, God will use the picture to be a mirror, to mirror back to us the kind of bride that we are being to Him. And so may I say to you, fellas, when you're not feeling honored, maybe the first thing that should pop into our brain is, I wonder if this is what Christ is feeling that I'm doing to him right now. Have I been communicating what she's communicating to me? Have I been communicating that to him through the way I've been living my life. And, and you know what I've, I've found, fellas? It is amazing how the better of a bride we are to our husband, the better our bride is to us. It's just an amazing little factoid. <laughs> Next, our husband has a passionate desire to enjoy the relationship of intimacy with us. And the key word here is worship. That's how we express intimacy with him. In Revelation 4.10, John says the four and twenty elders, uh, we don't have time to get into it, but that is us, that's the church, fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And what John's describing here is the worship 
that we will be offering our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately after the rapture. That's where Revelation 4.10 falls in that whole thing. And I call your attention to it because this, what we see right here, this falling down in worship, do you understand that is what our husband is seeking from us right now? He is seeking our worship. The intimacy the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for from us is for us to come before Him and completely submit ourselves to Him, expressing to Him that He is everything to us. And our desire is to bring him what glory but not even just glory to bring him pleasure and li listen fellas if your wife isn't expressing a desire for intimacy you may want to see if maybe she isn't being a mirror of the kind of bride that you're being to Christ, and if it's been a little while, you may want to just ask yourself how long it's been before you've communicated to your husband that he is your everything and that you want to bring him pleasure. And then next... Our husband has a passionate desire to share the grace of life with us. And the key word here is partnership. John 10.10 10 says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 17 verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent he came to give us life, and that life is actually Him taking up residence inside of us and doing life with us. Do you hear that? Colossians 3.3 3 says, Christ, who is our life. Man, we... We do life with him every day. He, he lives inside of us. He walks inside of us. He is our life. And then next, our husband has a passionate desire to experience the blessedness of dwelling with us. And the key word here is home. 2 Corinthians 6.16, I will, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they sh shall be my people. He, he, listen, y'all, he has made us his dwelling place. But not only has he made us his dwelling place, he wants that dwelling place to be his home. L listen, where he feels at home. Remember what we were just talking about? That desire we have to just be able to come back into our dwelling place. And Do you understand the God that lives inside of us? 
That's what he wants to do. Is dwell in us and walk in us and go, man, I love being at home in this place. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17 says that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. I'll hear that <laughs> in light of our desire as husbands. And again, fellas, he, he wants not just to live in us as his house. He wants to feel at home in us and he wants to walk in us and be able to have access into every part of us. And as he goes in every part of us, everywhere he goes, he just says, and so I say to you men, Listen real carefully. I'm, all, I'm almost done. When, when your wife isn't giving you the honor that you, th that you think you're due, when she isn't thinking enough of you to give you due benevolence, or when it seems that she doesn't have interest in hanging out with you or dwelling with you, or when you don't feel at home in your own house, before you get cheesed off, may I suggest to you that you first humble yourself because it could be that God is using that picture to mirror or to reflect back to us the kind of bride that we're being to him. And so as husbands, in conclusion, God has given us the assignment of being a gardener. And man, I hope you'll take that concept with you for the rest of your life. He has given us the assignment of being a picture. And he's given us the assignment of being a bride. Why don't we bow our heads for just a second? And before we go decaffeinate and recaffeinate, could we all just still our hearts and, and could we give the men in the room just a minute to talk to God about the things that he's been talking to us about. Listen, if you came through that last session and the Spirit of God wasn't able to find something that, uh, that you, you need to leave this afternoon with, boy, man, Next year, you, you teach this thing because, man, you are the man, for real. I think all of us right now need a minute to just talk to the Lord about how maybe we've just missed the mark, and a lot of it maybe just because of, of ignorance. Okay, I... 
I know we haven't exhausted all of the Bible today, but man, we've got enough to act on. And, And now it's time for us to do what we know. So why don't you talk with him, and then I'll, I'll, I'll close in prayer in just a, just a minute. Lord, we, we thank you that you've given to us a, a book that is certainly more exhaustive than we ever probably imagined. You've, you've got it, man. You, you have laid it all out for us in ways that uh, we're able to comprehend and get it. And, and you have so graciously pictured for us everything that you're now calling on us to manifest in our lives. And Lord, we recognize today that without you, we can do nothing. There's no way that we can fulfill our assignment unless the Spirit of God that lives in us is empowering us to do that. And that's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you that from this day forward, when it comes to us thinking about being our wife's husband, Lord, may the the truths that we've talked about today be what is manifested through us. And we ask all of this for your glory's sake. Amen. All right, so why don't we take about 15 minutes to regroup ourselves and and then we'll come back and have some fun with the ladies.